Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Rivals and first of all, Merry Christmas to all of you. It is Christmas week here with the Sports Rivals for Ernie I Monty. After a week off, as I went to the mainland to celebrate my daughter's graduation from college, we are back at you right before the Christmas weekend. A lot of NFL action that we'll get to, but Ernie, first, both of us were glued to the TV in regards to the World Cup. Yeah. And although it ended uh, over the weekend in one of the greatest World Cup finals ever. Messi gets his World Cup in a 3-3 shootout. They win with a 4-2 in the PKs over France. So Messi finally gets it done. Shocking loss in round one to Saudi Arabia. From there, they play really well, although they always find a way to let the team back in the game. Yeah. Um, but they pull it off. Yeah. So what an incredible final that was. Yeah, I, I mean, really, my, my heart... My heart said Argentina. My brain said France. (laughs) France was just kicking on all cylinders, especially playing well late. Where, like you said, uh, the Argentine team uh, struggled early and really didn't put convincing wins until, you know, later on. You could could say that they were on a roll leading into the match, but I really thought uh, it would have been really difficult for Argentina to to take that game. And being that it started at 5 o'clock a.m. here in, in uh, Hawaii Standard Time, I actually missed the, uh, the first score, Messi's uh, PK, you know, and then I watched from then on. But Argentina controlled, basically controlled the, all of the first half, a little part of the second half, and then lightning struck France and they were able to come one back PK, like one PK uh, situation, yeah. or you know, an un- I thought it was an unnecessary foul, but you get M- Mbappe going there with a PK within a minute and a half. He has that brilliant goal to tie it at two. Um, Argentina scores, but France comes back with another PK. But the second goal for Argentina was one of the prettiest goals I had ever seen in soccer. Oh, yeah. Started with the flick outside by Messi. Couple of great connecting passes. Um, and Di Maria finishes it to go up 2-0. And you're right. Argentina completely controlled the game till the 74th minute and that foul. And that changed everything. Right. They got on their heels. France was the aggressor. I almost thought France was going to win it in regulation, and they barely missed with that brilliant save by the Argentine Oh, yeah. Uh, A foot save. (laughs) Yeah, it was an incredible (laughs) save, but France had all the momentum. Argentina was on their heels. I thought if France could close them out in in real time, that was their best bet because once it got into the extra time, Argentina began to get their footing. France lost their aggressiveness a little bit. Uh, and then once it gets to PK, that Argentine goalie is just something special. Oh, yeah. It's not just that he can hit balls, but he intimidates you. So you think that you have to be perfect, and when you have to do that, you tend to miss. And that's what happened in the oh, PK yeah, round. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean he, he, to me, he, how well Messi played, it would be, I, I wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have any qualms if he was player of the match for that game. I mean, he... Without him, Argentina comes in second. You know, I mean that—that's—that's that's the truth. Although Messi played very well, and now the question is, does Messi come back for another World Cup? Well, everyone assumed that he wasn't. After winning, he said he's not ready to retire yet. But I think realistically, he'd be 39. So at best, he'd be coming off the bench for maybe the last 10 minutes. But. But you never know. I mean, they do seem to have a nice blend. Di Maria is also in his mid-30s now, but they have some young talent. Um, 
but so does France. I mean, France is loaded. They played this without Benzema. They got upset at Giroud and Dembele. They took them out within the 38th minute of the first half. They went out of the game. Dembele, that was an idiot mistake. Yeah, on the first on the first PK. So I mean, that was a struggle. I was actually surprised that Argentina beat Croatia the way they did. It was 3-0 in the semifinal, which was very very surprising. Um, Kylian Mbappe, though, I think is asserting himself is definitely the best best player in the world. He wins the uh, the MVP of the World Cup or the highest scorer of the yeah. World Cup, barely over yeah. Messi. They were going back and yeah. forth. He gets the hat trick. I believe that's two World Cups in a row for Mbappe. Yeah, um, golden boot. But just a wonderful accomplishment for Argentina. For those of you that follow the parade yesterday, millions and millions and millions of people in the street in Argentina. So much so that helicopters had to come down and take the players. Right. And they flew <laughs> in helicopters for the parade for their own safety. So Argentina is going crazy. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for Messi. Uh, France won last time. France will be the favorite next time, they in my will. opinion. Right now, right now, at, at this stage of the game, yeah, France, because his, they're saying that uh, uh, his, you know, as far as Mbappe's only rival, as far as you know, s- scores is concerned, is is that player from Norway, uh, Halstad. I can't, I'm not sure if I'm butchering his name, but Norway didn't even make the World Cup. Yeah. But when it comes to the United States, the field will expand from 32 to 48. Uh, so that'll allow uh, more countries, especially the countries in Europe, because you're talking about countries like Colombia, who never got in. Chile. Yeah, Chile, who never got in. So you're going to, there's going to be... Uh, Italy. Italy, who didn't get in. Exactly. Top 10 team. Exactly. So you're talking about, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot bigger blowouts. But, you know, if you're not, if you weren't a soccer friend and you watched this game... Uh, us. It, this this transcended the the sport of soccer or football, if you want to call it that way. I mean, this game made everybody a fan. Like you said, one of the greatest World Cups. I say one of the greatest soccer games. Yeah, <laughs> it was it, incredible. It had everything. Yeah, it was intense. It was it was high scoring for soccer. It, you know, it, at three three before yeah. you get to uh, to the, the PKs. The big names performed. Yeah, you had Messi with two goals. You had Mbappe with the hat trick. It, it was. It, it had everything you wanted. In what in America we could relate to, it's almost like in a Super Bowl, you have Brady and Mahomes going toe-to-toe. It's like Mahomes and Allen last year in the AFC playoffs. That's kind of what that was on a global stage with billions of people watching. (laughs) What an incredible (laughs) final. Again, I'm happy for Messi. I'm a huge Messi fan. And at this point in his career, this was really his, his last legitimate shot at winning a title. And he got it done. So Argentina, your World Cup champions next stop. America host in four years and that's always been something that I wanted to do and I'll be at one of these World Cup games wow. somewhere in the United States four years from now all right that's let's, let's go let's, let's make that a goal yes we'll host from there all right let's transition <laughs> for all of you non-soccer fans hopefully you didn't fast forward or switch stations or you just kind of uh stuck with us there so nfl um this is in the midweek normally we release this on monday it's going to be thursday so rather than recapping last week we're going to go ahead and preview this week but i think ernie let's start off with the standings where we are with three weeks to go what things look like let's start off first with the afc your thoughts on the afc playoff picture yeah i mean i i think the you know, the cream of the crop has separated themselves over the last several weeks. I'm very surprised that the Miami Dolphins have lost three in a row. Uh, I really foresaw them really uh, having a legitimate shot of uh, knocking down the Bills off of their mantle. The Cincinnati Bengals did what I thought they were going to be. Keeping my hopes alive, I picked them as a Super Bowl champion this year. They started off slow, but they, like I said early in prior podcasts, uh, they were basically at midseason. They were basically had the identical record where they were uh, last, last season, year. Last year, and right now they're 
they're at ten and four. They can they can beat their record from last year. So they're yeah. So let, let's let's look at that. Let's look at the teams that are hot. You mentioned the Bengals. They've won six games right. in a row to get to ten and four. Right. Buffalo has now won five games in a row to go in eleven and three. They're surviving each week. You know, Von Miller is out for the year. They have yeah. some other injuries. They are not the Buffalo that started the year that was inevitably uh, predestined to be the Super Bowl champs. They're the number one seed. Right right now because they beat Kansas City earlier in Kansas City but you have the Bills and KC at 11 and 3 you have Can- the Cincinnati Bengals at 10 and 4 you still have those unpredictable Ravens without Lamar Jackson at 9 and 5 you have the Chargers and Dolphins at 8 and 6 and then the last playoff spot right now goes to uh, the Tennessee Titans who would be the winner of the AFC South despite the fact that they lost four games in a row and we found out today that uh, Ryan Tannehill is out for the year with an ankle injury so believe it or not Ernie the Jacksonville Jaguars at six and eight could still win the AFC South and get in there but so could your Steelers I'm not sure how they can do it but they're not officially eliminated yet so I think someone is going to get into this playoffs with a nine and eight record it's a matter of who will that be? Right now, the wild cards are the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. We'll see if the Dolphins can rebound from that three-game losing streak. I hope they do. The Patriots, in a brutal loss last week to the Raiders. I mean, that was inexcusable, yeah. that last play. Um, the Jets are struggling a little bit now. They're kind of uh, wobbly heading down the stretch. So, hey, if your Steelers can finish 9-8, and eight, Ernie, they could still get in. Yeah, I think the Chargers, I mean, yeah, the Chargers, if they win one game because they lost the head-to-head, uh, they'll be eliminated next week. But, you know, there's still hope. Maybe the Chargers lose three in a row. The Chargers are playing much better now that they're getting healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, they destroyed the, the Dolphins. They found a way to win again this week, so they're playing a little bit better. Um, so are the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders have now, you know, gotten to 6-8. and eight. So you have... These teams fighting for the last couple of spots. You have the Patriots and the Jets at 7-7, the Jags, the Raiders, the Browns, the Steelers, all at 6-8. The only teams eliminated already are the Colts, the Broncos, and the Texans. So there's still hope there. Now, before we transition to the NFC, I do want to take some time. We had some real heartbreaking news today, especially for those of you that are Steeler fans. Um, Franco Harris passed away at age 72. And what makes it even more painful for the Steeler Nation is that they were celebrating Franco this week. It's Franco Harris week. They're retiring his number at the game this weekend. Uh, and he suddenly passed away overnight in the in the Pittsburgh area. So Ernie, as a fan, and this is when we were kids, mm-hmm. uh, when Franco Harris was there. It's 50 years since the Immaculate, Immaculate Reception. Reception. Right. Um, your thoughts on Franco Harris? Yeah, I mean, to me, he was the epitome of the Pittsburgh. Steelers, you know, that that catch, that reception that, you know, basically bounced off, uh, what was his, the Raiders? Uh, Jack Tatum? Jack Tatum, exactly. The guy was, you know, and he picked it up and it was a very controversial pickup because the referee, some of the Raiders were saying, oh, the ball hit the ground before he picked it up. You know, the, the referees came together and the Steelers crowd uh, was just Clamoring, 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 but that really changed the Pittsburgh Steelers' fortunes. They were able to make the playoffs. They didn't win the Super Bowl that year, but they won the Super Bowl the year after winning four of the next six. So that reception, you could basically say, was the turning point of the franchise, and Franco Harris was the one to do it. I mean, I was I was sick when he went to play with, uh, he ended his career with the Seattle Seahawks. I always thought that this man should have been, uh, should have retired as a Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, he did come back, you know, that one day thing and did retire as a Steeler, but still, the thought in my head, because the Seahawks, I, I still remember the Seahawks playing the Steelers and Franco Harris was playing. So that was one, one of my last memories of, Franco Harris, but what a you know what a great guy, you know, great football player, great person. My yeah. wife actually met him. Uh, he Franco Harris uh, outside of football started doing some sales on his own. He started a protein bar, and my wife uh, uh, with the work with the federal government in regards to uh, 
you know, picking up some of the food supplies. So Franco Harris came out, and you know, if it was me to meet him, uh, it would have been, you know, I would have been at a loss for it. But my my wife was very casual, and you know, they they really got along. But I am so jealous of that. But <laughs> Franco Harris, rest in peace. Absolutely. I mean, Franco Harris. Um, you know, growing up again as kids in 1972, I was only three years old. Ernie was starting high school, <laughs> but at that point, that's at what I remember. Old. That's what I remember about about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Franco Harris. Yeah. It's Terry Bradshaw, Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert. You know, Donnie Shell, that group, Mel Blunt. Um, it's that group of Steelers that I think to this day is the most legendary group of players on any one team yeah. still 50 years later. And for me, it was always Franco Harris. Um, I tend to be a more of an offensive minded person. And at the time, running backs were the deal. You know, mm-hmm. in today's day, it would be Swan and Stallworth that would get all the attention. Right. In today's, but back then, it was a running back league. So you had Rocky Blyer and you had Franco Harris. Uh, and Franco Harris was just a flat out stud. And he did come to Hawaii a lot. He spent a lot of time here. Even my mom met him a while back uh, as well. So rest in peace, Franco Harris. To all the Steeler fans out there, I know you're hurting today and our hearts and prayers go out to you uh, and especially to the Franco Harris, Ohana and their families. So Ernie, let's transition. Again, this is Ernie Imonti. We are the sports rivals and we're back at you after a two week absence. Let's talk NFC. So here's where we stand right now. The Eagles are at 13 and one, the number one seed. Minnesota's at two at 11 and three. The red hot 49ers, winners of seven straight are at 10 and four. They're the third seed. And then the brutal a, uh, NFC South, Tampa Bay is the fourth seed with a record of six and eight, and they just look terrible. <laughs> Dallas is the top um, wild card team at ten and four. Shocking loss to the Jags last week mm-hmm. for them. And then at six and seven, still you have the Giants and Commanders. Meaning, at the season ended today. The entire NFC East would be in the NFC playoffs. So that's that's quite surprising. Now, still right there, you have the Seattle Seahawks at 7-7, seven and seven, although they're trending downward. You have the Detroit Lions at 7-7. Seven and seven. They are red hot. They started 1-6. Since then, they've gone 6-1. and one. And then the Packers are still right there. So um, as of right now... Who do you like, you know, in terms of the wild card between the Giants, the Commanders, the Seahawks, and the Lions? Which two do you think end up in the playoffs? I mean, the Giants still have to play Philadelphia. I I mean, they'll get into the playoffs just based on the ineptness of the rest of the teams that are out there. But I, I, I like, you know, the Commanders for some reason, you know, they they shock a lot of people. I I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna bypass the Giants, you know, just based upon the Giants' uh, remaining schedule on top of there. So, but it's but this is what's disappointing is that the NFC might have two teams, two wild card teams that are below five hundred. Or two teams, and because I think it's almost inevitable that the the winner of the South is going to be under 500 yeah. and then you could get a, a playoff team. So let's take a look at that. The Commanders' last three games, this is hard. At San Francisco, I do not think they win this one. Then they host the Browns, who's playing a little bit better, and then the Cowboys. So it depends on if the Cowboys have something to play for yeah, there. They, they but that should be two losses for them, which would leave them at 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. So that does create an opportunity for someone to sneak ahead. Let's see what the Giants... Let me just pull up the Giants uh, right now. Let's pull up the Giants' schedule. Because I know they're at... Okay, here we go. They're at the Vikings this weekend. That's going to be tough. They host the Colts who have given up. And they're at the Eagles in the last game. Right. So again, it depends on... Are the Eagles resting players? Are the Eagles going to try? But right there, you would think that they would be an underdog in two of the three games at right. the Vikings and uh, and at the Eagles. So that creates, I tell you who I'm cheering for to make it, the Detroit Lions and my man Jared Goff <laughs> representing the Rams in the playoffs this year. I'm hoping that Detroit can keep playing well. They're at the Carolina Panthers this week, but uh, they have been unbelievable recently. 
No, they're very they're a very good team. I mean, last year, uh, last year they played a lot of good teams close. Now and this year now they have a shot for the winning record. That's a very steady team. They got good wide receivers. St. Brown, I'm telling you, St. Brown was on uh, on a team that had. I mean, I hate to say golf. I mean, throwing shit on golf, but if he was on a team that was more, uh, how would you say this, strong on the passing game, the the guy would be Pro Bowl ready. So you look at you look at what the Lions are finishing up with at the Panthers, very winnable. winnable. At home to the Bears, winnable. very winnable. At the Packers, winnable. Now, even if they win, lose that one, if they win two out of the three, they're going to make the playoffs. I, I think there's a really good chance that Detroit gets in and the Commanders don't make it. I think the Commanders losing that home game to the Giants last week surprised me, and I think that is going to doom them when all is said and done. But I think with that, Ernie, any big games this weekend, I think the whole Cowboys-Eagles game this weekend, I think that's the marquee matchup. I think that's lost a little bit of its luster yeah. with Dallas losing last week. So the Eagles have a three-game lead over the Cowboys. Right. And the fact that Jalen Hurts is hurt, unlikely to play, meaning that Dallas should roll over a Philadelphia team with Gardner Minshew. Any other games that pique your interest other than the Raiders and the Steelers? <laughs> oh boy, you, you, you caught me on top of that one. You really caught me on top of that I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the Patriots, how, if they bounce back against the Bengals. The Bengals are, like you said, on that long winning streak. Uh, boy, Bill, Bill Belichick's been getting a lot of heat lately, you know, and this, this is unlike any Bill Belichick team I've seen from the past. Normally, they really, you know, they uh, he takes underperforming. This team, although they are, you know, 500 at this point in time, really the consensus, the consensus I believe, was that they were they're supposed to do better. Yeah, see, I don't think that, but I think I, I think what really hurt Bill Belichick this week was the ending of that Raider game. I mean, we alluded to that earlier. They're tied, and then they start throwing the ball all over the place instead of just going into overtime and taking your chances. I think that just reeked of, if it was any other coach, that coach would have been completely crucified oh, for yeah. calling that type oh, of yeah. a play. Uh, and I think you got to hold him accountable for that because at the end of the day, he is the head coach. A lot of, I think that where he has gone wrong is how he's assembled his staff. I mean, Matt Patricia, we talked about this throughout the season. Having him as the offensive coordinator when he has no offensive background is ridiculous. And I think Mac Jones is paying the price for that. But that call at the end of that game that led to their loss to the, to the Raiders is just inexplicable. Um, and he's getting heat for the first time in 22 years. Well, he's getting a he's ton starting of, to get some he's heat. He's getting a ton of heat. I mean, I even think upper management is uh, criticizing him. Uh, not really in public, but the word is, you know, being that I follow the Boston Celtics, that, uh, yeah, the the ownership, craft uh, and company, and those, uh, you know, Subordinate to him are really coming down, really questioning you know some of the things that Belichick does at this point. No, I, I completely agree. So let's real quickly, let's preview some of the games. Tomorrow night's action. By the time we release this tomorrow, it'll be tonight's action. It's Jacksonville at the Jets. Very intriguing game. I was telling Ernie right before we started to record that since week seven, Trevor Lawrence is actually the number one rated quarterback in the NFL. Highest completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, one interception since then, 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the season. He is becoming the superstar that everyone predestined him to be against the Jets with Zach Wilson. It's a one and a half point line. This is a big game. Mm -hmm. It is an elimination game for the Jaguars for sure. The Jaguars are the hotter team. The Jets need this win. Right. They do. They do. So it matters who who wants it more, uh, the Jaguars or the Jets. Uh, I mean, I would lean towards the Jaguars at this, this time just based on how they've trended the past several weeks. Like you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence is, uh, you know, living up to his, his uh, hype when he got drafted as the number one overall uh, and I think it's coming together. You know, his uh, the first year when he came in with with uh, ATN. I mean, 
Etienne was gone the whole year. So this is basically like, like his, his rookie season. So right now they're just getting into the continuity of things. You know, and it's coming at the right time. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, he really looks like he's going to be a stud. On Saturday, most of the games is on Saturday because it's Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Day is on Sunday, so there's only three games. Intriguing matchups, Giants at the Vikings. Vikings are giving four. You already alluded to the Bengals at the Patriots. I'm intrigued by the Lions, so the Lions-Panthers is something that I'll be interested in. And then on Sunday, Ernie, I think it's... Do or die now for the Dolphins. I, After I, three straight losses, I'm curious to see how they respond against the suddenly playing better, more confident Packers. Yeah, and that's and that's the big thing. If they're confident and Tua is not confident, I really think that San Francisco game did something to go. Because yeah. since that game... The, Although he was decent against Buffalo. He played, yeah. he played pretty well against Buffalo in all of that snow. But but the, the Niners got in his head. Exactly. That is, there's no question about that. Exactly. And then I think the number one marquee game of the entire weekend is the Denver Broncos at the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> <laughs> the two most disappointing teams on the season. Russell Wilson against... Baker Mayfield. So we haven't had a podcast since the Rams signed Baker Mayfield. Uh, and then that brilliant performance to knock off the Raiders two weeks ago. <laughs> the Rams are going nowhere. There's two more players that went on IR today, Ben Skoranek and somebody else. They've got Baker Mayfield and no one else. This team is just, just brutal. So Ernie, let's transition. Before we get into our top five, let's get with our picks since we're talking matchups. Who do you have for your two picks? Again, we didn't record for the last week and a half or so. So the last time we recorded, you remember that Ernie was on some kind of a roll. He had won. Uh, he was 10-2 and two in his last six weeks. Two weeks ago, we both split, going 1-1. One and one, So he's now 11-3 and three over the last seven weeks. With three weeks to go, what do you say, Ernie? My first pick is going to be the Seahawks at Kansas City. I really think Kansas City is going to go on slow mode. Uh, you know they've already they're in really good position uh, to you know take one of the top two seeds. Uh, would they? You know they're gonna have to get a game uh, ahead of the Bills in order to take that number one seed. I think that's gonna be a little bit too difficult. I think they concede the number two, thereby allowing the Seahawks to at least make it close. I like the Seahawks plus ten. My second game is Dallas at Philadelphia. Almost the same reasons. I mean, it, this is the time where, you know, if, if you're a fantasy football player, you're kind of like, boy, I'm wondering if these guys are even wanting to play. You know, if you're starting, uh, you know, if your studs are like on winning teams that really don't have to do anything to get where they want to go. And that holds for the uh, for Philadelphia. You know, they, they hold a sizable lead uh, over the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I really think that, uh, you know, Philadelphia, especially without Jalen Hurts, is not going to put uh, mount uh, that much of a battle for Dallas. And Dallas kind of needs this game, you know, not needs this game, but I think just for position. So they don't have to play, you know, a, a tough uh, first round opponent. So they want to uh, solidify that. I think Dallas uh, rolls. Rolls. And take them with the five. Okay, so Seattle plus 10 at KC. Dallas laying the five at home against Philly. So let us let me comment about yours first. I totally agree on the Dallas pick. I think the Eagles, if they're smart, would rest, definitely rest Jalen Hurts. And they might as well rest anyone else at this point that may be a little bit banged up. Dallas has to win this game. Not for playoffs positioning because they're going to be the fifth seed. They're so far ahead of the other two. They need this psychologically after last week's loss to Jacksonville. They cannot lose two times to the Eagles and expect to, to beat them in the playoffs to me. So I think Dallas comes out guns blazing. And if Philadelphia was smart, they would rest players, take the loss, they only need to win one more game to get the number one seed right. so they can rest people. So I love that pick for you. So for me, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. Ryan Tannehill is out for the year. So that line for the Titans and the Texans, who are 1-12-1, is down to three. I believe Tennessee snaps their four-game losing streak. Derrick Henry finds a way to dominate against the Texans. He, he rushes for 200 yards against them. And they're going to ride him this time. And they need to win this. You know, mm -hmm. now it's they have to win. I believe 
They ride Derrick Henry. He'll rush for 200 yards, three touchdowns. The defense will dominate against Davis Mills and the Texans. I like the Tennessee Titans at home, minus three over Houston. And I also like the Cleveland Browns. They're finding a way to win. Deshaun Watson still is not playing well. The the Brown defense is playing a little bit better. New Orleans is kind of a mess right now. Um, I like Cleveland at home in the torrential weather that is expected all through the Northeast. Um, I like the Browns to cover the two and a half and win by a field goal or more over the New Orleans Saints. So those are my two picks. So let's get into our top five. Again, it's been a couple of weeks since we did that. I'll go first. Uh, I think Ernie and I are probably going to have similar. By now, I think there's a pretty clear separation of teams. So for me, it's the Eagles at 13 and 1 at 1. Buffalo and Kansas City follow at 11 and 3. Buffalo beat Kansas City, so I have them too. KC 3. For me, it's San Francisco. If they had Garoppolo, to me, they're the best team in the NFL, but they have Purdy, and I just can't trust him completely, but that whole team is dominating right now, especially Nick Bosa. I have them at four, and although Minnesota didn't do anything to drop out because they didn't lose last week, they were down 33-0, but they found a way to win. I believe the Bengals are the better team right now. Six wins in a row. I have the Bengals leaping the Vikings. The Bengals are my fifth team. Minnesota, for me, would be six. What do you think, Ernie? My first three are the same as yours. I Philadelphia at one, Bills two, Kansas City at three. I still have the Minnesota Vikings at number four. And my reason being is that, it, you know what? That comeback, just the fact that they have to make that comeback, you can look at it two ways. One, that they were down by 33. I look at it as they were able to put a team when they needed, when they're... Uh, pressed against the fence, they were able to come back and break a record. You know, the biggest comeback in NFL history. Uh, so I, I have to give them credit for that. That coupled with their record, I have to put them at my number four. I have San Francisco at number five over the Bengals, even though I think the Bengals... Should be up there as far as power ranking is concerned. San Francisco is on a roll, folks. Seven in a row. Uh, all you need to be is hot, hot, hot heading into the playoffs, and you're going to be there. So my San Francisco Cincinnati pick for the Super Bowl is alive, folks. Yeah, it's alive and looking <laughs> good at this point. I mean, the, the two hottest teams. Yep. One on a seven-game streak, one on a six-game streak. Let's uh, let's hope that at least half of that, the San Francisco side, loses <laughs> before the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, gang, so that is NFL Talk. We previewed a little bit about what's going on. We gave you our top five. We gave you our picks. Again, it's Tennessee for me and Cleveland, minus three and two and a half. It's Ernie, Seattle plus 10 at KC and Dallas minus five over Philadelphia. So again, that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We are the sports rivals. Merry Christmas from all of us to you. Again, we'd like to thank the Hawaii Sports Radio Network for allowing us to be a part of their Ohana. Soon we'll be recording in studio in the start of 2023. We're excited to do that. And again, we'd like to remind you to check out Kuule and Alan Mia. Wake up in the den weekday mornings at eight o'clock on 760 AM and uh, 95.1 FM on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. So, Ernie, let's transition to the NBA. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest, gang, for the last week or so when I was in uh, on the mainland with my daughter, moving her out of the dorms, getting her set up in an apartment, I was not really paying attention to a lot of things. Um, one thing I did pay attention to is two major injuries, Steph Curry's shoulder right. and Anthony Davis's foot. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Davis had been playing at a level that he had not been playing at since he came to the Lakers. I mean, he was playing at a historical clip, and now he's out for a minimum of a month. And again, big guys, foot injuries, never a good mix. The Lakers season already struggling is more than likely over uh, with Anthony Davis missing a, a chunk of time. Steph Curry with the shoulder, it's still unknown how much time he's going to miss. But another major injury for a superstar. Right. But I think what Ernie really wants to talk about 
is his Boston Celtics. The last time we spoke to you guys a couple of weeks ago, we were raving about the Celtics. They were clearly the best team in the NBA. And I was so out of it, I wasn't aware until I walked in here to record with Ernie today and we watched the end of the Celtic game that according to Ernie, they've lost five out of six. Ernie, what is happening with your Celtics? (laughs) I have no idea. I really think it's uh, this is something that you know, they got overconfident in. I mean, if, if you listen to the press conferences from the players and the coaches, I mean, they actually said midway through this uh, slump that they're playing well and they're just missing open shots. Yes, the shots are open, but they're missing the biggest thing. What defined the Boston Celtics last year when they went to the NBA Finals was their defense. They're not anywhere close to their defense. Prior to this... Uh, Prior to this slump, they were coming back. They slipped into, I believe, the number eight position. But since since that happened, they've really lost momentum on the defensive side. It's not their identity. Uh, they are getting overconfident. They're, they're not playing hard, uh, which is really not... Uh, Something that I am used to watching when I watch, when I, you know, when I basically watch this team, uh, they don't move the ball around. And yes, we all knew that they were not gonna uh, shoot lights out for the rest of the season. Uh, there was inevitably gonna be a pullback in regards to their miraculous shooting. Uh, I did not think that they'd be go from the number one offensive rated team. To the last, the worst, the worst, the exact opposite, the polar opposite over this streak of six games. They are last in the NBA. And it's not close, folks. The 29th team is four points better, which shows you how much they're struggling, you know, in this. So Joe Mazzulla is getting a lot of heat uh, in regards to this. I really hope that uh, he can pull them through this. This is where you really need the coaching to come into play. Uh, you know, albeit, you know, that he was thrust into this situation because of the Ime Adoka incident. I I have to believe that, uh, you know, with the guidance of Brad Stevens, you know, being his general manager, that those two will collaborate. And the tandem of the Jays, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, will put their minds together. And, you know, and, and as a group, they'll, they'll try to figure this out. But right now, if you're a Celtics fan, you're hurting. I'm not sure if you're hurting as much as if you were a Lakers fan, being, uh, you know, seeing that. Uh, I think you are. I think you're hurting more <laughs> as a Celtic fan because your level of expectation is so much higher. <laughs> okay, but let's take a look at this because, again, I've been out of it for about a week. The Bucks are back in first place in the East, and then the Celtics are still right there at 22 and 10. But I think what really is frustrating for Ernie, I would guess, is that the Brooklyn Nets have won seven in a row to jump just a couple of games behind the Boston Celtics. Cleveland has won five in a row. The 76ers have won six in a row, and that's without Maxi. So they've reestablished themselves. So the five teams that we kind of talked about at the beginning of the year are kind of right there right now. The Knicks, the Heat, the Pacers surprised the, the Celtics tonight, at least in my eyes. And then the Hawks, a little bit disappointing so far after their big trade for DeJounte Murray. So... The Celtics are going to be fine. I mean, they've lost five out of six. They have way too much talent. They have to reincorporate Robert Williams. I kind of expected this to happen. Williams playing is a different type of of game because he's the defensive anchor, one of the best defensive players in the entire NBA. Mm -hmm. That changes what the Celtics were. And we both agree that the Celtics could not continue to shoot the three-pointer at the clip that they were shooting the three-pointer right, for right. the beginning part of the season. So all things average out. I think that the Celtics are better than the last six games, not quite as good as the first 23 games, but if they settle somewhere in between, they're still going to be a 55 to 60 win team in my estimation, unless things fall to heck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully I just hope they incorporate this rule. well. And again, you know, by, uh, unfair estimations. Uh, I I just uh, I know how fragile this could be for the Celtics organization because they're coaching uh, their coach is so young and uh, you know the players really look up to him. The Boston media can be quite harsh, so hopeful you know. Hopefully they'll be patient. Yeah, and 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 if not, 
if your coach Missoula listen to the Sports Rivals podcast, we'll pick you up. <laughs> we'll be the confidence you need to carry them over the hump. Let's switch over to the Western Conference. Everybody seems to be pretty much bunched up. There's so much parity in the West. The, the Nuggets right now lead at 19 and 11. And you know what, Ernie? Nikola Jokic is playing still at an unbelievable MVP level. He's still the number one guy in PER. He is having another remarkable season. The Nuggets are one. The Grizzlies are right there. The Pelicans are right there. The Suns are right there. The Clippers are right there. Uh, Everybody's right there. The Kings, the Blazers, the Jazz, (laughs) the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, all bunched up together. Out of the playoffs as of right now, the Golden State Warriors are a half a game out of the playoffs. So that's unlikely to remain. One thing that's likely to remain, the Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> out of the playoffs right now. They're 13-7, and seven, and just when you thought they were turning it around, AD's injury is going to be the nail in the coffin. I believe um, he'll, be, he'll be out probably six weeks, and by the time he comes back, we'll be too far out to yeah, really make yeah. a difference Unfortunately, I think that's uh, for, on the NBA yeah. season. So anything else NBA-wise that you noticed that you wanted to talk about? Well, other than Steph Curry, I mean, I'm really, the Golden State Warriors are going to have to really make a big move they're gonna have during this time out with Steph out there they're gonna have to at least play 500 ball in my opinion I mean they fall under the same uh, you know the same circumstances as your Lakers out there they can find themselves you know in the playing game I mean they're they are five and a half games out of first place yes the you know the Western Conference all bunched out in there but you know what if they're playing like right like how they're playing right now they've lost they've only won three out of their last ten they don't have stuff probably until what mid-January mm-hmm. you know you got uh, well, what is that six to eight games in between them and Andrew Wiggins is also out I mean so that's another a defensive star for them as well so you, without those two they're really going to struggle I, I yeah and that's that they got if you're a Warriors fan I worry right now I mean just the fact that you you know, you want to be in that top six. You know, you, you want to avoid the playing game at, at, at all costs. Yeah, there are only three games behind right now. But if that if that difference expands, uh, I'd be I'd start getting worried. Yeah, I, I I would too. So let's transition again. That's Ernie Imonti. We are the sports rivals. It is Christmas week here in Hawaii and all over the world and wherever you may be listening. I want to talk before I transition to my closing thought which I'm going to talk Major League Baseball free agency. Ernie, today is National Signing Day in the NCAA. So I just want to go real quick right now. We'll use ESPN as the standard. The number one recruiting class as of today, Alabama Crimson Tide. When all is said and done, they've signed 15 of the top 100 players Um, An incredible, incredible class for the Alabama Crimson Tide. They are number one, followed by the Georgia Bulldogs. The Georgia Bulldogs tried to make a run at Alabama. Alabama kept closing hard. So Georgia is two. I believe they're still the favorite right now, probably uh, over Michigan to win the national championship. But the number three recruiting class in the nation, Ernie, the U. The Miami Hurricanes, <laughs> they can't win games, but Mario Cristobal can certainly recruit. Wow, Unbelievable close for the Miami Hurricanes. They now have 15 ESPN top 300 players uh, in this recruiting class. So he is kind of cleaning house. The transfer portal, 15 Miami players left the program. They brought in four players through the transfer portal, but 30 people in this recruiting class, including two of the top three offensive linemen in the country and the number one cornerback in the country in um, McLean, Cormani McLean. Although he did not sign today, Dion is trying to make a push. Dion Sanders, as you guys all know, is hired at Colorado and he's trying his best to bring in some studs and uh, hopefully he doesn't get Cormani McLean, who is the number two player overall for the ESPN. So again, college football is here to stay. Ernie, we're in Hawaii. You guys know that we're in Hawaii. One name that has surfaced 
And according to 24-7 Rival Sports, a transfer that is predicted to come to the University of Hawaii is quarterback DJ Uagalele from Clemson. Three years ago, he was the number one quarterback in the nation. He's disappointed a little bit at Clemson, lost his job this year. He's in the transfer portal. He has family ties in Hawaii. And according to rivals, he is going to commit to the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. That would be a boon for Hawaii just from the fact that he's such a big name Mm -hmm. that the publicity will help. And he's so big and strong and he's able to run and throw. That's the kind of quarterback Kauai needs right now while we build the depth. So that would be exciting if it materializes. Hopefully it does. Hopefully it does. So let's transition to my closing thought. I'm going to talk a little bit about Major League Free Agency. It's been a crazy whirlwind. The amount of money being spent is obscene. Ridiculous. The thing that I'm proud of is that my Los Angeles Dodgers have completely set out, sat this whole process out. They were linked to Verlander. The Mets outbid them. They were linked to Aaron Judge. He re-signed with the Yankees for $360 million over nine years. Um, they were linked to Xander Bogarts. The Padres, who already have Juan Soto, <laughs> Machado, and Tatis, threw $280 million at him I, for 13 years. I don't know how San Diego does it. I, I, they're just going all... And then, the today, the, the whole drama with Carlos Correa who agreed over the weekend to a 13-year, $355 million deal with the Giants. The Giants yesterday kind of said, ooh, they're a little bit of a concern about his physical. So immediately Correa goes to Boris, and within that matter of time, 12 years, $315 million to the Mets. So the Mets have Carlos Correa that's going to move to third base at 12 years, $315 million. They still have Francisco Lindor at shortstop at 12 years, $341 million. They have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander both making $44 million a year for the next two years. They're just the money that is being thrown around the league is insane. And I think that. One of the things that is, is, is interesting is that these owners are now worth, you know, in the olden days, the owners were, were wealthy, but they were worth hundreds of millions. Billions. Now, with the, with the way sports are, it's worth billions. Yeah. Word just came down yesterday that uh, there's a buyer for the Phoenix Suns at $4, Four billion. billion dollars. Yeah. Just two years ago, or just a few years ago, the Clippers were bought for two billion, and that was obscene. And then somebody, uh, the Nets were bought for two point two, and now we're already at four for the Phoenix Suns. Um, so that's where these these owners know that they can throw these money around because if they have a winner, if they win a World Series, the value of their of their asset skyrockets. And apparently that's what's happening with the Mets. The Mets are throwing like monopoly money. They are they're now $111 million in luxury taxes for next year. And so are the Padres. They are just spitting out that's cash ridiculous. like nobody's business. So I'm proud of my Dodgers for showing restraint. I am sad to see Cody Bellinger leave for the Cubs, Justin Turner leave for the Red Sox. Some of the the Dodgers, uh, the reliable faces of the Dodgers for the last five years are no longer with them. But I trust in the Dodger process. I feel like they'll be okay uh, and they're not just throwing money all over the place. But that's kind of my thought. I mean, the money that was spent in free agency this year is just obscene. Yeah, I mean, I can see in 12 years or however long these contracts are that... You know, if it if it if the contracts keep on growing at this type of exponential, it, it does come out cheaper. But if it doesn't, I mean, if, if these players don't pan out to be, uh, you know, you know, perennial all stars, it could actually debilitate them, and they could set their franchise back for years and years, unless they're willing to, like you said. Uh, pay all these luxury taxes. I mean, it, it just baffles me. I think baseball, out of out of anyone out there, out of all the three major sports out there, is one where they're follow the leader type of mentality. When I saw that San Diego contract come out, I'm thinking, are they trading somebody? You know, how is yeah, this I mean, well, they have another year or so before they have to pay Juan Soto, but now they have 
a three million, three hundred million dollar player in Machado, a three hundred forty million dollar player in Tatis, Tatis. and a two hundred eighty million dollar player in 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 Bogarts. Uh, and then we know Juan Soto is going to be north of four hundred million. It is just crazy. Money in sports, people. Money in sports is nuts. Ernie, another quick quick tidbit in regards to to um, the NCAA NIL type situation. There is the pit coach today that was complaining about. There's a quarterback at the University of North Carolina, Derek May. Uh-huh. He is. Uh, he still has two more years of eligibility. He's a fantastic player. He had a brilliant year. He and Caleb Williams from USC, probably the two best NFL prospects. The pit coach said that he knows that there are two SEC teams that offered Derek May $5 million a year in NILs wow. to draw him away from North Carolina. Now... There's two parts of looking at this. If, if he was coming out of high school and somebody wanted to pay him $5 million, whatever. But my problem with this is they're trying to siphon him off yeah. of another person's team. Agreed. That is tampering. Agreed. There's, there's got to be a standard of operation here where you kind of just go after people's, people's money. But $5 million a year for a college kid. I mean, how can you say no to that? Yeah, I mean, he, how can you say no to that? You can. I mean, this is going to come up to be, if you know, if this is not regulated quickly, this is going to be up to who has the bigger booster clubs, you know, who has the deepest pockets out there in the SEC, Big Ten, or even, you know, I'm not even sure if the Pac-10 the Pac right now is, is even a player amongst those two, you know, other conferences. I know Miami's throwing a lot of NIO money around, well, too. Even, <laughs> even, even the ACC nowadays with Clemson and their, yeah. and their Hurricanes. Money in sports, gang. Money in sports is crazy. All right, gang, that wraps up our Christmas week show. Happy holidays to all of you again. Check out the Hawaii Sports Radio Network crew, Kule and Alan Mia, every morning on Wake Up in the Den, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 95.1 FM, 7.60 a.m. on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We appreciate being a part of their ohana on our sports uh, social media. Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook. Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Let us know what you got. Who are your favorite teams? Who's your top five? What are your picks for this week? We'll make sure that we dialogue and answer your questions. But until next week, for Ernie, I'm Monty. Merry Christmas from the Sports Rivals. Happy holidays, everyone. All right. And the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.